Welcome back to Bible Time. We are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Yesterday we looked at the Apostles of Christ. We looked at the ministry of the Apostle. Um, we looked at the re- um, what an Apostle is in the Bible. And by nature of that, what an Apostle is not. And I encourage you to look that up. Um, that will be very crucial to um, really understanding where we're going from here. Because um, the rest of this chapter of chapter 2... Um, Paul is going on from this thought um, of his ministry and the ministry of Silvanus and Timotheus. And he says, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. And verse 7 says, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. And we're going to zoom in right there on the gentleness of the nursemaid ministry of the apostle. Today we're looking at the role of the apostle in the church, what the New Testament apostle is in the church. Father, in Jesus' name we pray, Lord, that this would be a useful lesson, Lord, that it would dissolve doubts, Lord God, and that it would um, remove a lot of the false um, suppositions that have been given to the word of the name apostle, and Lord, that we'd be able to just see clearly. And that there would be no doubtful disputations that arise from this, Lord. I pray, Lord, you'd rebuke the devil, Lord, even now, and keep me from saying something that um, isn't right, Lord God. And, and just set a watch over my lips, I pray in Jesus' name. Help us, Lord, with this subject, because we've strayed so far from your word. And, Lord, because of this, it's such a touchy subject, and we need your help, and we need your wisdom. In Jesus' name, help us today. For Christ's sake, amen. Now, this is a touchy subject, and for very good reason, as we studied yesterday, when we studied the ministry of the apostle, um, this the ministry of the apostle, the word apostle, will often cause the hackles to raise on good Christians' necks. People who love the Lord, when they hear apostles, sometimes they just immediately cringe and nearly double over because they have run into these false apostles. And really, the only thing that the church, um, the modern church, has been exposed to in um, all of across, all across America by way of apostles, the only thing that have been allowed to call themselves apostles are false apostles, deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of light. And then we have this other phenomena in the United States of America that's also spreading throughout the world of apostolesses. What on earth is an apostolus? What on earth? Who would come up with such an abomination and a perversion of the Scripture when the Bible is very clear about these roles and about the masculinity of these roles? Christ picked 12 apostles. Which one of them was named Mary? Who remembers? None of them. And all through the Bible, it's very clear that women are to keep silence in the church. I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over a man. Um, And he says that a woman, I just got stopped on the way back from Yankton, South Dakota. I was talking to a trucker and he wanted to know after we talked about the gospel for just a couple minutes where I stood on women, women preachers. And I said, I stand with the Bible. He said, I know what the Bible says. Um, Let's go. Let's not talk about that. Let's talk about where you stand. I said, I stand with the Bible. I said, the Bible says, I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man. And the the Bible's clear that there should be no women pastors, women preachers, women evangelists of of the nature that go around and stand and preach in the churches, which is arguably not even an evangelist. What we call an evangelist in this nation is skewed from the biblical... Um, in biblical meaning of the word and application of the word. But in any case, 
Here you have all, he says, I don't, I know what the Bible says. Let's, I know that already. What's your take? Well, my take is what the Bible says and the Bible's right. He said, well, that's because when they wrote the Bible, they looked on women as property. And I had to tell him, no, it's not. That has nothing to do with it whatsoever. And I had to share with him some of the truths we're not going to get into now. But just to sum it up, women are made differently from men. Women do things better than men in many areas. Women are way better than men at having children. Now, since most women in our day and age have rejected childbirth and no longer see it as an honor or as the privilege that God gave them, They're not content with their honor. They're not content with their role. And they want to take the man's role from the man and try and make the man fulfill the woman's role. Man's not designed to be a woman. A woman's not to be designed to be a man. God made them male and female. He gave them roles and he gave them jurisdictions. Now, maybe you might not be able to say amen to anything else in this whole lesson. So at least give me a good amen there. God made them male and female. Amen? Still no amens. What a tough crowd. I can tell by your grins some of you agree, but you're too nervous to say amen because you're afraid it might get on the recording or something. But in any case, you'll get over that eventually. God made them male and female, and he made them with different roles. And women can do woman things way better than men can. They are not equal. Women are not equal with men. Men are not equal with women. Women are better than men at being women. And men are better than women at being men. Say amen. I want to hear it. Amen. There's some of you. Out of the mouths of babes and cyclings, thou hast ordained praise. In any case, women are way better at being women than men, and men are way better at being men than women, and that's how God designed it, and those are called roles. And within those roles that God has designed for male and female, God has also given jurisdictions. And because of the role of the man as protector, provider, and priest of his home, not over the hearts of his people, but of the of his family, but over the home itself, the priest of his home, the provider of his home, and the protector of his home, God has given man the authority and the jurisdiction to bear rule in his own house. And that is Bible, and that's God's way. And those that are against it are against the Bible, and they are against God's way. Do you hear me today? The woman has been given an authority and a jurisdiction within the home over certain aspects and areas of the home. God said in his word that I would that the younger women marry, bear children, and guide the house. That They give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. That's Bible. And women have been given that role and that responsibility and the authority to carry out their work within their role. Now, the same thing is true with the gifts that Christ gave the church in Ephesians chapter 4. He gave five different ministerial gifts, and with those five gifts, he gave them in four groupings, which is very interesting because these five gifts speak of grace and the four groups speak of the world. And God gave these gifts, if you look at it. Let's go ahead and go jump the gun and go to Ephesians real quick right now. We kind of left off there last time. Ephesians chapter 4. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and this is speaking of Christ, who in verse 8 gave gifts unto men, and he gave some apostles, semicolon, and some prophets, semicolon, and some evangelists, semicolon, and some pastors and teachers, semicolon. These four groups. Now, it's worth noting that there's a comma after some which you can um, dig into all of that all you want there too, what that actually means. Did he give some churches, some apostles, some churches, some prophets? However, in any case, the reasoning for God giving these four groups of, of, of five different ministries, verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, three parts which are divine. So you have four groups that, are, that speak of the earthly nature of these ministries. These groups are five gifts that speak of the grace of God to give these ministries to the church. These five gifts, the grace of God to the people of Christ on the earth are given in for three reasons for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ all of which we need today how many of you would say we still need perfecting today how many of you think you're already perfect would you raise your hand so you still need these gifts, and it, this wasn't limited to pastors here that this was given. And then it also, for the work of the ministry, how many of you think there's still ministry work to be done in the world? Thank you. And how many of you think that the body of Christ still needs edified in the world? Thank you. So that's three divine reasons God in his grace gave five gifts in four groups to the church on earth. And here's the time frame that he gives it till we all come in the unity of the faith, which we have not done. And of the knowledge of the son of God, which we have not done unto a perfect man, which we have not done unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, which we have not done, which is four time markers for events that must take place before the five gifts in their four groups with three divine reasons are recalled from the earth before God stops giving and before God stops commissioning these five gifts on the earth we will we must all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things which is the head, even Christ. Now these apostles here in First Thessalonians, and again, if you just tuned in, you need to pick up the message that we just did, the apostolic ministry, the ministry of the apostles, the ministry of apostle um, from yesterday. The apostolic ministry here that Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus had as referenced in 1 Thessalonians 2.6 um, he says, We were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. As a nurse cherisheth her children. So the role of the apostle in the word of God is that of a nursemaid hired by a king to tend the king's t children till such a time as they can fend for themselves and feed themselves. Jesus said, he that is least among you will be the greatest. Now in the church, the pastor does the shepherding, the teacher does the tutoring and instructing. The evangelist in the word of God preaches to the lost. He is a, what some people would try to call a soul winner. 
winner today. Whether he actually wins souls or not, the evangelist spends his time in the highways and the hedges bringing the lost to salvation. An evangelist is not a revivalist, and we've gotten those things mixed up in our day and age. Study the life of Philip the evangelist in Acts chapter 8 if you want to see what an evangelist is and does primarily. And then later in the close of the book of Acts, you find him settled in a city. But the only man that was ever titled by God as an evangelist was not preaching in churches. He was going to the highways and the hedges. And that fateful day, he met the Ethiopian eunuch on the road out in the desert and won him to Christ, which resulted in the gospel going to Africa. So you have the evangelist preaching to the lost, the prophet, which the word prophecy in the Bible is nothing to do with Nostradamus. And we're, we've taught on this some before. Just go start scrolling through the messages and try and dig it up. But, or just look it up for yourself. Look up what prophet means in the Bible. It means proclaiming the word of God. It has nothing to do with Um, in its definition with prophetic utterance of divine revelation that would be canonized as scripture. Now we do know that the prophets were used by God to give us the scripture that was then canonized by God through the authority of the apostles. But the prophets are proclaimers of the truth. A prophet is a preacher. That is what a prophet is. And that's why in Acts it says that Philip had four daughters who did prophesy and we can see in the Old Testament that in Old Testament prophets often prophesied by song. There was one family whose whole family would get their instruments out and prophesy by song. David was called, it was given um, the the honor of being a prophet of God as the psalmist of Israel and his psalms are extremely prophetic and he speaks and preaches the truth of God's word now we've gotten off into this Nostradamus world and we've let the we've let the Looney Tunes completely redefine the ministerial gifts in the Bible so that's why most of most people that are listening to this right now if you've if you've been exposed to all that your hackles are already up you're on your guard you think I'm half heretic if you've even listened this far. Some of you may have already turned me off because I'm not completely throwing out these terms. These are biblical terms. They have biblical uses. And if you look at them in the Bible, there is no biblical evidence. And if I'm wrong, show it to me. I'll change. There is no biblical evidence that any of these five gifts have stopped functioning. They are all functional. But the way that they are defined in our modern culture is erroneous. And that is why we want to say that they have stopped functioning. But the reality is that the erroneous gifts, the fake gifts of apostle and prophet, have never been functioning. They never got started by God. So we don't even need to bring up the subject of whether or not they ceased because they never started. This fake apostle stuff where they run around stealing people's money and living the high life and getting harlots to go to the pool with them and doing all the dancing around on the stage doing these weird healing things and getting people to go into trances and there are a bunch of charlatans and deceivers that's not apostolic at all that has nothing to do with the apostolic ministry and the and they never ceased because they never got started by god they are false apostles transforming themselves into the apostles of christ and same thing with the prophets so here a prophet in the bible study it out a prophet in the bible preaches 
is to the saved primarily and then to the lost. If you go to 1 Corinthians 14, it says let the prophets speak by course. And I think he says two or three, but I didn't study that out, out, that one out before starting this lesson. And you can go check it. But he says, if something be revealed to one that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. And then he says, just let a couple of them go. And what were they doing when they prophesied in Corinth? If you look at the scripture... And what does he say in 1 Corinthians? If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge, the gift of prophecy in the Bible is the gift of understanding and proclaiming and preaching the word of Almighty God. And in our day, when God has finished the 66 books of the Bible, our prophecies are subject to those 66 books of the Bible and are not adding any new revelation to the Bible. And we have no authority for that. Neither does any so-called apostle today. We looked at the other day how there are the 12 apostles of the Lamb, the 12 hand-picked apostles. We're not going to dig into that again today. Get the other podcast unless you're just trying to make trouble and tell everybody what a wicked, stupid individual I am, in which case I will give you plenty of ammunition. So just hang in there and get your notebook ready because I'll say plenty of stuff for you to throw me under the bus for. The apostle ministers to babes in Christ. The apostles function is to minister to babes in Christ. And here we find this in the analogy of the nursemaid here in Thessalonians. He says, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Who is the we? The we of the apostles in verse 6 of First Thessalonians 2. And who are those we? Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus of chapter 1, verse 1. So he says here, we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. The apostle role could be likened to that of the mother or the nurse in the Bible. Now, in Old Testament times, there was no similac. There was no infamil. A nurse in the Bible that was hired to nurse a baby did it the old-fashioned way. She drew out the breast and she gave suck to use Bible lingo. I know some of you are about to fall off your seat sideways because your makeup got messed up when you blushed over that. But it's just Bible, and it's reality, and it's a good thing and a beautiful thing, and it doesn't need to be this big weird thing. And I, just so we can be clear, this public nakedness involved in nursing is a sham and a shame and disgusting in the sight of God. And if you're in that crowd, repent. But getting back to the... Getting back to the word of God here, the apostle is the mother, the nurse of the new babies in the Bible, the new baby Christians. To Galatia, the church of Galatia, Paul said in chapter 4 and verse 19, My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. He said, you're taking me back to my labor pains. You're taking me back to the birth room. And why would he say that? He says, because you're so soon removed from the gospel unto another gospel which is not a gospel. And he said that there in Galatians 1 6. He said, There I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so I so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. 
for now, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? And he goes on there, um, certifying that the gospel which was preached to me is not after man, but it came from Christ. So Paul's ministry of apostleship, the primary function of the ministry of apostleship is to take brand new baby Christians and to bring them along in their faith, to disciple them, to teach them, to preach to them, to instruct them, to say, thus saith the Lord, which is to prophesy, to warn them of the things that will come upon them if they forget these things that they've put in charge of and of the gospel they've been put in charge of. Now to the Corinthians, Paul also used this analogy whenever he said to the Corinthians um, that they were as babes in Christ. You can go there today. Go to um, 1 Corinthians 3. Quickly in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 3, 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. Now, the so the role of the apostle is in bringing up these babes in Christ for the glory of Christ and for the advancement of the kingdom. So 1 Peter 2, 2 says of New Christians as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. So he also used this analogy of young Christians being as babes. And here in our text in 1 Thessalonians, Paul tells the church we were gentle among you even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Now this obviously does not fit the modern so-called apostles that we see running around extorting the church, taking authority over pastors, trying to subvert the church, tearing churches apart, backing down the ministers, the teachers, the church itself, and bringing them into into subjection. Those are false apostles. Now, most churches will value at least one of the gifts in the five gifts that Christ gave the church, the five ministerial gifts. And most churches that value that gift will then try to make every other ministry ministry model that one gift. Do you hear me? This is how we function. This is how we roll. It's just carnal humanity. It's how we, it's just how we think. So if a church values that of pastor, which is the case in many fundamental and Baptist circles where they value the pastor above all the other gifts, they will try to make every other ministry operate along pastoral lines. So the teacher has to operate like a pastor and the evangelist has to operate like a pastor and the missionary has to operate like a pastor. And this is folly. When God gave us four sets with five separate gifts with which to do his work. A nurse rises at all times to check and care for and feed a little child, and so does an apostle. Go to 1 Corinthians. Well, you go there. We're going to touch that on the imbalance of the gifts for just a second and the, and the misuse of the gifts. So churches that then value an evangelist, and you can see this. Um, there was an evangelist who was a good godly evangelist, and he got a church and this is actually often the case with evangelistic churches. Um, a church, a group of people valued the ministry of the evangelist to preach the gospel. And they called this well-known evangelist to be their pastor. So week after week, Sunday after Sunday, he would get up and he would preach the gospel to the lost. And he'd preach it hardcore. And all the ministries of, this, of the church reflected that evangelist's zeal for the lost. So the Sunday schools were now soul winning machines. 
machines. And the VBS was now a soul winning machine. And everything was about soul winning because they valued the ministry of the evangelist. But what happened over time was that church became anemic because they lacked the feeding that comes through teachers. They lacked the leadership of the pastor. They lacked the, um, the out, the the growth and the multiplication that comes from the apostolic work of missions. Yes, I said that the way I meant to say it. I really meant that. And they lacked the other one that I forgot. What was the other one? We got pastors, evangelists, prophets. So they lacked the warning and the, and the warnings of the revival ministry of prophets. How about that? See, the gift of prophecy is often a revival ministry. A prophet will usually preach more to the saved than to the lost because his goal, his burden in life is to cry aloud and tell God's people her sins, just like God always sent the prophets to do in times past. So he'll stand up and call out the church for everything the church is doing wrong. Well, a lot of people don't like that. So they'll, they'll get themselves an evangelist and make him their pastor and he will run an evangelistic ministry as pastor and the church will be weighted heavily that direction they will do this with the um, revival churches will do this with a prophet which is again not an Ostradamus but a man who warns the church and instructs and reproves the church more than he does anything else including preaching to the lost every preacher every teacher should have in them by God's grace if God puts them in the situation the ability to obey God and operate in one of the other ministerial gifts if God calls them to do it. But in general, an evangelist is not suited to be a pastor. And in general, a pastor is not suited to be an evangelist. And in general, a revivalist, which would be a prophet, is not suited to be a teacher. And in general, a teacher is not suited to be an apostle, which would be the mission work of forming and planting a church as this thing has gone on of church planting that that would not usually be a job a teacher is suited to, someone who's a teacher and so on. And whenever we miss, whenever we misunderstand the ministerial gifts, what we end up with is lopsided Christianity and lopsided churches. And then the devil comes in and exploits our areas of weakness and breaks down the church. Now, um, a nurse rises at all times. Let's go to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. It says here, oh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. That would help. <clears throat> Excuse me. Here he's speaking of the weariness and painfulness. He says, in watchings often, that means waking up and praying, in hunger and thirst, a nurse will often feed the hungry child. Well, the nurse, maybe the child's mother, sits there hungry herself. Has that ever, ever happened, honey? You're sitting there, you feel like you're starving to death. This kid's eating everything you can give it. And you can't get food fast enough to get it in you to feed that kid. Been there? Okay, so hunger and thirst in fastings often in cold and nakedness beside those things with, which are without. So there's that nursing mother rising in the dead of winter, rising in the heat of summer, rising in the middle of the night, stopping in the middle of the sunny work day to feed the child, feed the child, feed the child. 
So the nurse gives herself for the child, feeds the child, nurtures the child, watches over the child, prays over the child, fasts over the child. When the child has a fever, it's the nurse that's staying up all night. It's, you know, in most families, the mother is far more the nurse than the father. And the dad will go out and he'll work a hard day, come home and sleep. And while he's asleep, mommy is rising in the middle of the night, rising and feeding the baby, rising and changing a diet rising and taking a little one to the bathroom. And that least of all jobs, that most unnoticed of all jobs, is one of the most important jobs for the health of the family. And so it is in the church. Jesus said, he that would be greatest among you, let him be least. And he that would be your master, let him be your servant, if I remember to quote that correctly. But the concept holds true. So here these have the job of nursing the little children. Um, This apostolic work has authority, but it does not have the authority of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And most people that run around in their five-piece suits and $5,000 shoes trying to claim to be apostles do none of this. And this would, they would, they would sneer at such a job as this is to nurture and raise the young of the church, which is the apostolic role. So here he says, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and in nakedness. A nurse gives freely of self for the children. Look at um, 2 Corinthians 12, 13. For what is it wherein you were inferior to other churches, except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours but you for the children ought not to lay up for the parents but the parents for the children and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you though the more abundantly I love you the less I be loved and how true is that of a mother she spends the first several years of a child's life attending to its every need, kissing that child's owies, changing that child's diapers, feeding that child. And as soon as that child's old enough to keep up with daddy, that child, all it wants to do is run with daddy and go to work with daddy and go wherever daddy's going and spend time with daddy and often um, forgets to a large degree all the labor of love that the mother bestowed upon that child. And what good and gracious mother is there that that um, begrudges the child that They may for a moment endure some jealousy for a moment, but ultimately they watch with pride glowing in their hearts and lifting up their hearts if they're not careful above what they should as they look out the window and watch that little six-year-old boy run across the field to help his daddy plant a row of corn or whatever it is that he's got to do. And that mother's just glad to see the child running. The mother doesn't get the credit. The mother doesn't enjoy the fruits of it. The mother just selflessly gives her for the children and this is the biblical work and the biblical role of the apostle within the church go back to first thessalonians 2 first thessalonians 2 he says here we were gentle among you even as a nurse cherisheth her children so being affectionately desirous of you we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only but also our own souls because you were dear unto us and what mother would not give everything that she has and everything that she is for the sake of her dear little child he says here for ye remember brethren our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you we preached unto you the gospel 
gospel of God. No salary, no thanks, no nothing. Now he did say they robbed other churches, taking wages of them. And in that sense, so the mother robs the father of wages for the baby and feeds the baby, stuffing the baby's mouth with food the father worked hard to earn. And such is the role of the apostle in the churches. And if we don't have apostles in our churches, it's because no mother makes a very good mother without the father providing. Now, don't go too far with that and go to seed with it. The church is not a father. God is the father. But the illustration can hold in its limited application that we made it in. So he says here, we, I was not be chargeable to any of you. What mother charges the children for changing the diapers? It doesn't happen. I would not be chargeable to any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. And then verse 10, you are witnesses in God also how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. So now he moves on to another aspect, the aspect of a father to the children. And this aspect can be studied out in more detail. Maybe we will Another day, I'm not sure, just as the Lord leads. But Paul talks about how he had begotten his them as children in the faith. And as a spiritual father, he mentions that role in other places. We're focusing right now on the nursemaid role, the motherhood role of the apostle, the role of the apostle in the church. Now, an apostle is not a rank in God's army. And this is where, unless you want to call it the least, which is what Paul said. He said, I, I think God has set forth us the apostles last. Do you remember? Us... <coughs> Us, the apostles, last. Now, most modern apostolic ministries make a huge deal out of this guy that they call apostle, and everybody almost worships and venerates the apostle. And that has nothing like what the Bible talks about in an apostle, and it's nothing like what Paul himself experienced. But an apostle is not a rank. You don't have apostles who are colonels, and then pastors who are captains, and then teachers who are sergeants, and then deacons' wives who are generals. None of that stuff lines up. And I threw that deacon's wives in just for fun there. I know we're not even studying that, that right now. Deacons are not even listed in the five ministerial offices that God gave to the church. They have less than no rank. A deacon is a servant. Bottom of the barrel and supposed to be that way and that's their glory and that is what they get a reward for when they get to heaven is being a servant of all. Now, these five ministerial gifts then um, that God has given are not ranks. These are co-laborers with God. In our modern churches, we have divided and allowed schisms as we fight over who gets the supreme authority in the church. The ministerial gifts are given to the church by Christ. And if Christ gave the church the gifts, then Christ is obviously the authority over the gifts and over the church. The church is to be under Christ. Christ is head over all things to the church. If a church has a pastor as its head, that's an abomination. Do you hear me today? Some of you are ready to throw rocks at me if you could get to me. If the pastor is the head of your church, you ain't even got a church. Do you hear me today? Christ is the head over all things to the church. 
not the pastor, not any pastor ever as the head of the church. That is anathema to good doctrine. That's a curse. If your church has a pastor head, then you don't have a church that belongs to Christ. Christ is head over all things to the church. And that's just as clearly a mess if the pastor's ahead as if the apostle's ahead. Now all of you are ready to clap on that one. If an apostle comes in and tries to reign, rule reign and be the chief hen in the hen in the chicken coop and peck the pastor down in his spot everybody if any kind of fundamental doctrinal persuasion would see that as an abomination but it is even so with the pastor if he tries to lord it over the flock as the head over the church christ is the head over all things to the church so does that mean that church is a free-for-all absolutely not god forbid each office and each individual ministry has a jurisdiction to work in. Jurisdictions are one of the most misunderstood things in our present day life. Somebody thinks if they get a badge and that makes them a sheriff in Wright County, Missouri, and I'm not talking about our sheriff. I've had no interactions with them, good or bad, of, of any kind. I thank God for our sheriff that's working hard to try and um, uphold law and order. But let's say a sheriff does get a badge all too often. Often that sheriff thinks that gives him the right to be a little mini God. And he starts running around with a chip on his shoulder and trying to make everybody else do it his way. And, the, and he violates jurisdiction. The church as an assembly is led by the pastor. And the pastor has been given the jurisdiction of oversight of the flock. Which means that he is the final say in all matters that deal with church and church polity. Church polity starts and ends um, as far as any office goes with the pastorate. Now, Matthew 18 makes it clear that the pastor and all other gifts are accountable to the church body. And that if anyone has a problem with another member of the church, they first go to them. Then they take a couple more. And if they won't listen in either of those two times, they take it before the church. And the church makes the final judgment. So the church itself, the church assembly as a body, has the ability to discipline a pastor that gets out of line with God's word. You don't just follow a pastor blindly. He starts preaching evolution in the pulpit. The church should call a meeting. First, somebody in the church should go to him. Second, take a brother. Third, take him before the church if he won't change his ways. If it's done publicly, he may need to be withstood publicly in some way, having care not to rebuke an elder as is given in Timothy. Now, the class is led by the teacher. So if you have a Bible class, it's led by the teacher, and that teacher has authority and jurisdiction. Now, the pastor may have say in who gets to teach, but the teacher has to get with God and know what God told him to teach, or you're dead in the water. Do you hear me today? Do you hear me? Each one of these ministerial gifts has to function with Christ as the head, as co-laborers. Every one of them has to go straight to the head for their orders. But each one of them has a, has a jurisdiction that God has dispensed to them. They have a dispensation, if you will, a jurisdiction. The gospel meetings trying to reach the lost are to be led by the evangelist, the man that God has peculiarly fitted for the work of salvation of souls. 
The revival meetings are generally to be led by the prophet, the man that God has particularly given the, the ministerial office of warning the flock and rebuking the flock. And the formation of new assemblies and the building of new churches is led by the apostle. Some people call them church planners. The title isn't that important other than the fact that God gave us five titles. And instead of me allowing others to redefine the titles, I want to take back the titles God gave us and use them biblically instead of allowing them to be abused and misused. All of these um, five office gifts are different from the motivational gifts. There's a motivational gift of prophecy in the book of Romans. And there's other gifts that God has given um, the church as well. But there are those eight motivational gifts. There's the five um, there's the five office gifts and those churches there then as a church is led by the pastors you'll note that Paul told Timothy who here in first Thessalonians was included as an apostle with Paul Paul Sylvanus Sylvanus and Timotheus you'll note that Timothy was charged by Paul rebuke not an elder rebuke not an elder that's because there's jurisdiction do you hear me today there's jurisdiction. Now, whenever a mission is a mission is underway and the missionary has the burden and the goal and the, he's seeking to start a church in an area and that work is going on, then in that sense and in the proper use of the biblical term apostle, he is a biblical apostle operating in his role as apostle. That's nothing fancy. That's nothing super praiseworthy. In fact, it's the least of all. Now, that apostle then will go out and he will often begin his work like Paul did with the work of an evangelist preaching the gospel. And he's going to minor in these other four ministerial gifts as he does his job. But his main job, his main goal, his main glory, his main hope, joy, crown of rejoicing, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.19, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. For ye are our glory and joy. So this is the glory and the joy of the apostle is the Bible-believing, God-honoring church formed and functioning in a biblical way with ordained elders um, presiding over the church, which would be the pastor role, residing, um, presiding and overseeing the church, with evangelists going out from the church, prophets warning the church and calling the church back to God and telling everyone, <coughs> getting up and telling everyone, listen, um, listen, we're nothing, Christ is everything, or whatever their exhortation may be from the word of God, and calling the church back to its place, and then eventually new Bible-believing ministers being sent out of the church to duplicate what has already been done in the formation of new churches. This is, these are the five roles, and the role that we've looked at particularly today is the role of the apostle in the church. And if you've listened to this carefully, then you've doubtless heard that I'm presenting this different than most people would present it. But I believe that if you've listened carefully, you've also noticed that I presented this in a manner that is biblical. 
The apostle has no special authority, power, signs, wonders, revelations from God other than any more than any other. But I will tell you this, whenever a missionary gets out on the mission field and he's operating in this role and he is starting churches, you will see some strange things happen. Some strange things happen where God will do things to validate that man to those local bodies that he would not do in other circumstances. And that would be the signs and the wonders of the apostle in their New Testament setting as opposed to the signs and wonders of the apostles of the Lamb that were coupled with the revelation of new, the new revelation of Scripture. Now some of you might be shaking your heads and scratching your heads and saying, why would you bother, listen to me now, why would you bother fighting through and mucking your way through all of this muckety-muck? Why don't we just use the word missionary and revivalist and leave off the word prophet and apostle and just let those other cults have them? And if you're asking that question, I'm scratching my head and muddling through more muckety-muck than I have the whole time I've been talking. Because God used those words. And God said in his Bible that he gave those for four time frames, three reasons, three divine reasons, and four time frames, which include the perfecting of the saints, the edifying of the body of Christ, the coming to the fullness of the stature of Christ. And God gave us those roles. He gave us those offices. He gave us the terms and Christ is head. So Christ gets to define the terms, not cults. Why are we letting the cults take the good Bible words out of the Bible and rest them and twist them to the destruction of the ignorant? But if you allow these cults and these other groups to take these words and then take our Bible and show it to other people and show them that we lack what the Bible says we should have, we have done a great damage to the gospel of Jesus Christ and allowed the gospel to be subverted. We're told in the Bible to earnestly contend to the faith as it was once delivered unto the saints. And that is what I believe with all my heart that I am doing. And if that troubles you... I I don't know what to tell you. I don't I really don't know what to tell you other than I love you in the Lord. But these these gifts were given by God. Biblically, the apostle is understood biblically to major in pioneer missions in discipleship and formation of churches while minoring in all four other ministries. This is what a lot of churches in fundamental circles have tried to call church planting. And without getting into that, there's a whole issue there. I have yet to find a place in the Bible that calls church planting church planting. What you describe whenever you describe church planting is often that of the apostle. The other thing that happens here is that whenever you try to plant churches, pretty soon you've got people who are buying buildings and laboring in empty shacks out in the desert with no congregations, and that has nothing to do with any ministry that God gave. Do you hear me? We need to get back to the biblical terms and thereby the, dif- the biblical definitions, the biblical jurisdictions, the biblical roles that God has given the church. And we'll find a place of power, a place of confidence, and a place of clarity that will break us free from the confusion that has beset our church. <clears throat> Lord, help us today. I think we're just going to end it right here today. 
Um, as we go on through 1 Thessalonians 2, we will see all of this relates to this apostolic ministry. And again, you can look up the other message that we have on the apostolic ministry here. I hope that you will carefully think over these things and uh, just look at what the Bible says and give it a good thought. Give it a good look over. If you have a disagreement on this and you can show me from the scripture how I've misused some of these scriptures or my error, then I'd be pleased to see that from the Word of God rightly divided. Um, feel free to contact me. You can find the information there on the internet. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'd bless this, this message and that you'd help us, Lord, as, we, as we're muddling through something very difficult, Lord. Lord, I would not be a faithful servant of yours if I didn't deal with this straightly, Father, and deal with it exactly as, I, as best as I can possibly see it from the Bible. So, Lord, I've tried to do this, Lord, and you know my heart, Lord, that as much as lieth within me, I want to be at peace with all men, to live peaceably with them, Lord. I don't want to cause schisms or divisions, but, Lord, I do believe that this will undo schisms and divisions if we can just get back to rightly dividing the word of truth. Please help us. Lord, in Jesus' name, correct us, teach us, reprove us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name and for Christ's sake. Amen.